And naturally, it was starting to realize my biggest problem in comedy was being a woman. Welcome to Unquestionable with your hosts, Charles Perry Phillips and Sophie Green, where each week we dive into real and raw conversations with experts, creators, thought leaders and CEOs. With our guests, we'll be exploring some of the unquestionable truths behind psychology, mental health and relationships to gain a deeper understanding of human nature. So let's get into today's episode. I love Don't Go Race. That's the first line of the um, song. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I addressed today for you two and the first time in my life that I thought, am I too old? I feel like I dress like a four-year-old. <laughs> I think it suits you. Now, your jumper's fantastic as well. <laughs> and well, people might not be able to see you're wearing pink socks. Yeah. I've thought about everything down to my rainbow, very gay pants. <laughs> Which we can't see, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, we did. Nicky Campbell in his interview got his feet out. So yeah, he actually oh. took his shoes off. Yeah. No. Yeah. Whip it Nicky off. gets his feet out. That means I get my bummer. <laughs> <laughs> you got to take it to the next level. Them's yeah. the rules. Them's yeah. the rules. Yeah. <laughs> I, that is my problem in life. Like, anything someone asks me to do, I will do it. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that, have you always been like that? Um, yeah, <laughs> I think we're getting deep quite quickly. And I think a judge wanted to always entertain. So if I can get a laugh from eating an entire bunch of flowers, I will. <laughs> Is that something that you have done? Because that was a very specific <laughs> It was very specific. <laughs> I one time ran into a pub and there was the amazing comedian, Tim Key. Oh, Tim's um, brilliant, yeah, yeah. And Tim is one of my heroes. And I thought, what can I do to, like, catch his attention? <laughs> <laughs> and he had a, a bunch of flowers on the table. And without talking, I went up to the table, picked out the biggest flower, maintained heavy eye contact. <laughs> vital. It's a vital thing to do. It's all about the eye contact <laughs> and at the flower head. Stock. What, um, what could I ask what flower it was? Oh, okay. Yeah, so. I want to know what I, I, this is <laughs> important detail. Important. Yeah. Oh, no. I'm hoping it wasn't like um, a rose. Or like a lily. No, I'm very bad at flowers. It was one with a big head and a lot of. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining like a daffodil or a tulip. No, no, <laughs> more like circular. Okay. There was like an a... echinacea or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bold. bold. Yeah, that's a bold move. I mean, well, eating the, a flower yeah. is arguably, <laughs> not, you know. There was <laughs> a lot of flower to get in my mouth. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> but did it have the required like uh effect? Yeah, that's my question. Oh yeah. god, yeah. 
So, um, that's what a years ago, that was literally, uh, four months ago. Okay. <laughs> so, it wasn't like I'd seen my comedy hero. I just bumped into my mate in the pub. Um, oh, fun fact. I was also on the first day. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. You interrupted me. Whoa, 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 whoa. We've, this, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 It's like, so, <laughs> this is a very bold. Yeah, <laughs> my day just had to stand there <laughs> while I impressed Tim Kay. And to be fair, Tim said, that is the funniest <laughs> thing I have ever seen. You turn back around, your date's not there yeah. anymore. <laughs> I mean, she stayed. <laughs> so I think that says more about her. Than <laughs> it does. I don't know. Or that could be your new thing that you just do on dates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This, sorry, I have yeah. to interrupt because this is the part of the day where I eat a flower. So. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, what, I, what I'm getting from that is you're up for anything, up for a laugh. Yeah. And I mean, apart from anything else, obviously, you're an absolute legend. You're so funny. You're, you're a comedian. You're a writer. You're very creative. These are all careers that are quite sort of challenging to get into and brave to get into and I think there are probably so many people out there that are, have secretly thought like oh I'd love to be a writer mm. or I'd love to be a comedian yeah. would never even go near that but you you know you've, you've obviously gone for it and mm. from what I know about you you've kind of you know you, you studied was it like creative writing and stuff yeah. like that like it yeah. seems like that's always been your yeah. thing yeah. yeah it was never yeah. was there any moment where that wasn't your thing or you weren't thinking about going for it um Writing, always my thing. Comedy, literally no idea where that's come from. <laughs> it, comedy for me is a hobby that has gone a bit out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, for sure, like, um, so everyone knows that food by now, but I got a disability called cerebral palsy, and I've always had it. And um, in, growing up in the 90s, I never really saw anyone disabled on telly or in the media. So if somebody said to me, oh, do you want to be a comedian? I go, well, that's a joke. Because <laughs> I'm disabled, you don't get disabled comedians but writing felt like a possible career for me and I was always great at reading and English and for as far as I remember I would write stories and I would like um make my brother uh film little TV shows. Oh really? Oh. Yeah, and sketch shows together. So when I went to uni, I studied creative writing and English in the hope that I will go into writing. But even that about um like 
I feel like we created jobs that a lot of uncertainty. So I thought, at the uni, I'll go into TV and I became a researcher and worked on the panel shows but always with the hope that I go down the secret writing route and to help me with that I did a postgrad in uh, writing comedy specifically and my teacher was a great uh, radio producer called Buddha and I hope he's not listening but <laughs> if he is I don't care <laughs> Bill you're a moody bugger <laughs> now, for the whole whole two years he'd submit a piece and they go yeah, fine. <laughs> and that would be great. Someday take it absolutely appalling. <laughs> like, he would tell it how it is. Yeah. And we were in a pub after lecture one time. And in the pub in my home life, with my friends, I've always been a joker, always, but like as I never thought that it could be a natural joke, like drop. So I was holding court like normal in the pub. Um, eating flowers. Eating <laughs> flowers, you know how it is. Were they like giving you requests like, eat the coaster? Yeah. <laughs> show, show us your rainbow knickers. Eat your bum And Bill Dad just looked at me and went, you're a stand-up comedian. And a lot of people have said it before, but I just thought they were being nice. Mm. But coming from him, who I respected, mm. and who I knew didn't mean such words, I was like, right, well, if... Boo says it, there's something in there. Mm. So that's when I went down the comedy route. But yeah, even now, if someone says, uh, what do you do? I'll, I will say, I'm a writer who does a bit of comedy. Yeah. Funny, yeah, we we I do things like that sometimes. Don't yeah. say what I actually do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny you were saying about Bill and obviously possibly he was a bit of a mentor to you and you obviously respected him. I wondered if some of the, the way he acted was kind of, in a way, maybe protecting you because you know how, like, we know that it's ruthless out there and, you know, the rejection and all the stuff that you're going to get. In some, some ways it may be a little bit, like I don't like to use the word character building, but maybe gave you some of the kind of uh, inkling into what it would be like once you start putting your work out there and the rejection and all stuff. Do you think there was that was in his mind a little bit, apart from probably his own kind of like natural yeah. moroseness, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. And my mum and dad are both teachers, mm. so I grew up with. Surrounded by teachers, and I feel like they all have their different strengths and their different ways um, to teach. 
Um, and that's good. My favourite teacher was my English teacher, who was a lot like Bill, who was just gave me nothing, would slam down my essay and go, you're better than that, do it again. And I feel like my personality adapts well mm. to that. I feel like literally everything we're talking about is connected because someone said, I bet you can't eat that flower. I'm that person to go, well, I'll prove you wrong. Yeah. You think that actually isn't good enough? Right, I will spend the next two weeks not sleeping and I'll prove you that I'm good enough. So that is why... I really acted well with Bill and my English teacher, but both of them um, have very negative impacts to other people. Sure, yeah, yeah. Right. And they're quite similar, actually, because they would really upset people and they will go not my problem mm. be better but I think um a good teacher would know would recognize that I was a person who needed to be pushed um, and other people have need to be nurtured. Mm. And what is interesting is a lot of comedy writers and comedians in general are still male mm. because I feel like it's a female. And being stereotypical now, but a lot of females, it's like spend ages writing a script or a sketch, and they were then met with no shit. Mm. They were perhaps retreat mm. more then your stereotypical man who will probably go, I think you're wrong. (laughs) So would not get another producer's door with the same script. So, yeah, it helped me, but I wouldn't say... That's a way to make everybody a comedian. Mm. Yeah, it is. It's like the whole industry and not just comedy, but any sort of creative industry is so, it's harsh. It is harsh. And and also often a man's world as well. And like, you know, I work as an artist and female artists are so underrepresented. Yeah. Underrepresented. And yeah podcasting as well just everything and there's there's definitely something to be said about that the yeah the pushback that you often get and it kind of like like pushing a lot of females yeah it's like critical talking about it i'm actually quite annoyed at myself i'm annoyed that it took a man to tell me that I was funny. Well, we did say we were going to make you angry on this podcast. Yeah! <laughs> oh, <laughs> it happened! 
Legend. The Impossible. Yeah. Been made possible. power a man come to that realization myself. I think it's true. I think this is probably more common than you think in, in that people that have these secret desires to do comedy or acting or whatever it is, something creative, and and they don't feel like that's within the realm of possibility. They'll often have that one person who they respect or they almost see as like a critical parent or is their actual parent who will then be like, no, you, I think you could do that. And yeah. that's all it takes is unfortunately like an external validation of yeah, yeah this is possible to, yeah to get on that road yeah we don't i don't think we're brought up especially as women to like innately believe no. in ourselves being, no. like, being capable of things like yeah that. so it's so important yeah but yeah <laughs> and then so interesting because starting out Comedy is awful. <laughs> you gotta perform at um, open mics and you do five minutes along with 18 other comedians. It lasts for hours. And now of the 19, 20 people, on there, there'd usually be one or two women, and there'd be the ones with their notebooks preparing, and then most of the men. Yeah, would, I've got my notebook. Uh, not all men. <laughs> Charles, uh, you're in a safe space. <laughs> <laughs> And then there'd be the men that you could tell had been going to those kind of gigs for years and years and years. And they'd get on and they would be bad, <laughs> bad, bad. And then they come up and go, oh, it was a shit crowd. Uh, yeah. Shit crowd. Blame the, yeah, blame the audience. Yeah. We starting out when I had a bad gig. It would take me a lot to talk myself around. Because mm. my initial thought was, I'm shit, I can never do that again. Um, God, it honestly sounds like my idea of like a nightmare. Like, that would be like a stress dream for me. Like oh, I had this awful dream last night that I was comedian. I had to stand on stage with people like, yeah. judge because the judgment is so... It's immediate. It's immediate. Like, yeah. It's in front of you as well. Yeah. It's not I'm, like if you like... Well, and you're being judged with silence sometimes. Yeah, which is yeah. awkward. And uh, so people hate silence. Yeah. I hate silence. Yeah, so yeah. Feel it. That's it. I would prefer a audience to boo me, hate me. The worst crowd and the ones they just sit there mm. politely. Apathetically. Yeah. Make me laugh. No. <laughs> yeah, so Give bad. me something. Yeah. Oh, that sounds horrible. So I, that's why I have so much respect for you because not only have you sort of chased your dreams and gone after what you want in life, but you're also in an industry that is so terrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm in savage aisles. We'll move away from them. The man man hate hate hate. We hate men. <laughs> we hate men. We hate men. Shall I just but, leave? Yeah, <laughs> that'd be yeah. lovely. Can't unwrap his legs from his <laughs> <can't move. laughs> Before I stand up, I thought a lot about my disability. Um, I wasn't out yet, so sexuality wasn't on my radar, but disability was a big thing. 
I was crouching the gig and it actually felt quite powerful to be like, yeah, it's still the majority, but it's been recognised that I, in this room, am the best. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm the headliner. Yeah. 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 yeah, exactly. It's just the way it should be. Yeah. So, on behalf of all women, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and Giles, what do you have to say? For uh, <laughs> but I, w- I was going to ask you: Did that mean that at some points, you know, that obviously the com- the comedy was something that you n- weren't necessarily thinking about? The writing was more a passion for you. Did you at some points maybe suppress those dreams of being a, a comedian because of not only because of like your own desire to be a writer but also because of what you were heading into and obviously you've alluded to some of the f- challenges you faced in yeah. these early days i think sometimes when i talk about my childhood it sounds very sad um and it wasn't at all I was so happy and I cannot stretch it enough I didn't suppress it because to me it wasn't an option Um, a comparison would be saying to you, did you suppress your dreams of being a farmer on the moon? <laughs> and they say, no, because like, that just wasn't a job out there. Like, it was just a matter of fact. I'm disabled, so I can't be a hairdresser. I can't be a doctor, and I can't be a comedian. Um, so, but comedy was always in my life. So when I did make that leap, it was actually more of a uh, hop because I've been using comedy all my life in order to diffuse situations when People felt uncomfortable with my disability. So when I finally started, it made total sense. But literally, until that point, there wasn't a choice to suppress it. Because for me, it wasn't a valid job. Yeah, it just speaks volumes, doesn't it, about the importance of role models. And yeah, we don't, it's something we don't really think about too much day to day. Like, no, the importance of having those people that that allow others to see to believe that something Mm. is possible. Um, and I might be going way in another direction. So feel free to assume it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you go, you go. But um, I'm, I'm in therapy. Of course I am. Amazing. Um, and a big thing that I'm tackling it's a fact that I've, I don't feel worthy of a long-term relationship. Mm. And when we get down, 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 down into it, it's because growing up on TV in the media 
even nowadays, I have never seen a disabled person in a healthy, loving relationship. So the way I approach love and sex is I make them separate because I've been taught by society that I am not worthy of love um, and that comes right down to role models mm. and seeing yourself out there. Mm. So, yeah, so interesting that you've kind of managed to peel away the layers mm. and work out that that's what it comes mm. down to because it, it sounds like you, you know, you grew up in a very loving household yeah. and you had parents yeah. that loved you and were very yeah. supportive. It's not like you've come from a background where you were told as a child, you know, like, you don't deserve love. Or no. We tend to think no. that about ourselves, don't we? The things yeah. that we reject in ourselves usually comes from like childhood experiences or trauma. No. But actually it's more of like a societal thing yeah. as a whole. Yeah. It's really fascinating. Yeah. And now I think Again, losing me back. But um, when you're a woman, hopefully you grow up, surround yourself with brilliant women. If you are non-white, usually one of your parents it's normal to at least, um, if you're gay, as you go out, you find that queer community, you got queer spaces. But when you're disabled, you grow up, not always, but I grew up in a house where I was the only disabled one at school. No one else had my disability, rightly or wrongly, at uni, at work, I never sought out disabled spaces. So I'm now at 32 where I don't really have anyone disabled in my life. So that can feel quite isolating mm. and therefore I can't talk to my mate who will go, oh yeah, I felt so unworthy of love until I met blah blah and then I could see a loving um, relationship so I think again I need to stress that it wasn't a sad or lonely childhood but it has an adult that I go oh a lot of things I think I know about disability and love and work and life. I've had to teach myself mm. and maybe some of it isn't right. Mm. Yeah, and it, you know, and it shouldn't be the, that shouldn't be the case. It shouldn't be that you have to teach yourself. Yeah. There should be role models. Yeah. Do you feel like there was, or you were aware growing up as a child that there was kind of like a need for a sense of belonging. Is that something you were conscious of or is it only sort of looking back as an adult in hindsight that you realised that that was a thing? I think it only happened retrospectively. And again, 
Because when I started school, I was the only disabled person. So actually, at four years old, I had the confidence to go, Hello, I'm going to do a speech for you. And I stood in front of my class and said, Hello, I'm Rosie. I got a disability called cerebral palsy, which means I talk differently and I fall over a lot. But if you got any questions, I'll answer them, Aww. which is so cute. Yeah. So cute. And brave as well. And brave. That was your first stand-up gig. Yeah. <laughs> but then, as a 32-year-old, and I look at my friends at Four years, four year old, I can't go. Why was it up to me to make 30 children accept me? Mm. I should have been able to enter that space and not. Explain myself, mm. and even now, I feel like it's always up to me. Like if somebody has a question about disability, they'll come to me, and I like that. I like talking. But as I get older, part of me wants to go Google it, <laughs> read it, but yeah, like, yeah. why is it up to me to make you okay with it? Yeah. There's a weight of expectation on you. Yeah, mm. yeah. I... I it was interesting during Black Lives Matter because it was the first time as a gay disabled woman I was like, oh, I'm the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Um, and actually, what I did was I just went and I read books from amazing non-white authors. I like educating myself how to become anti-racist, um, which I learned a different from not racist, yeah. being active and not passive. Um, and during that time, I read a lot of non-white people were saying the amount of white people that are coming to me and going, help me, yeah, what? Yeah. And it's not up to them to make us better anti-racist people. Mm. So, yeah, it's interesting. And then you're in the grey area of... Uh, probably I would have... 
Stephen Cry X Driver and Stephen the Joker in the pub. But part of me feels a bit bitter because I had to, I had no other choice mm. but to be the joke. If I wasn't a joker in the pub, I would have been the joke in the pub. So it's, it was kind of like a defence yeah. strategy or like a mask that you felt yeah. that you had to wear. And yeah. Nobody should spend their life feeling no. that they have to wear a mask no. um, to be accepted. Yeah. Um, going back to what you were saying about in schools as well and yeah. how, you know, you went to a school where you were the only disabled person yeah. there. You've written a couple of books. Would you like to talk a little bit about yeah. that? Really? <laughs> um, well, as I said, at four years old, I wanted to be a writer. Because from as far as I could remember, I could talk slow, walk slow, but read bloody fast. <laughs> Um, and I inhale books. And again, again, a lot of letters retrospectively, but never reading about a main character who had any kind of disability was really damaging because it made me believe that we our stories weren't worth telling. Mm. Um so when I could I wrote my first children's book called The Amazing ED Eckhart. And it's about a girl, Edie, who's amazing and funny and stubborn and ambitious. And she has cerebral palsy. Um, and the disability is a factor and comes into it. But it's not about that. Mm. It's yeah. about Edie as a 12-year-old girl making friends and starting school, having her first crush on another girl. So I'm hearing <laughs> she's amazing, <laughs> stubborn, uh, ambitious. Like, I don't think you said this, but I'm guessing funny. She's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gay. I don't know. Where, where did the inspiration yeah. come from? <laughs> I'm very, very imaginative. <laughs> I'm surprised her name isn't like uh, uh, Lozy <laughs> Lozy Bones. <laughs> Yeah, oh, that's amazing. It's so it's so great that you've done that and you've now provided children all over the country and yeah. the world with uh, with a role model. Yeah. I mean, I love everything I do. I love writing, performing, acting. But my favourite thing is when I do the Q&As for the book um, because I get to meet the children who's read them and I think selfishly I wrote the books for me mm. I wrote it for the 10 year old Rosie who had 
known role models. Um, so when I do the Q and I have a lot of disabled children come, which is amazing because they say, he did dribbles like I do, or, oh, i never seen anyone in a book like me before. But as well as that, what I didn't expect was a lot of my readers are non-disabled. Um, and they just unfazed by it. And what, I mean, I cry every year at World Book Day because Edie, um, again, I don't know where I came up with it, <laughs> but Edie loves wearing dumpling <laughs> Um And it was amazing on World Book Day to see so many people going into school dressed as ED and they were disabled children and non-disabled children and the fact that they were dressing like the hero mm. who happened to have cerebral palsy didn't seem like it was a problem for yeah. them because it's not. No. Yeah, it's so inspiring. And you've probably inspired so many people to or children to become writers as well. Hopefully. And hopefully I want to um inspire people to be comedians because we're getting better but still there aren't enough comedians with disability in the UK right now. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, well, you're certainly at the forefront of it, Rosie, and doing an amazing job. And I know, obviously, we, we alluded to the fact that, that some of that can sometimes be a burden for you, but amazing that we've got you and that you're able to pioneer that to a certain extent. So, yeah, yeah. And thank you so much for today. It's been so wonderful to talk to you. We've The time has whizzed by. Hello. We've covered so much stuff. I'm sorry, I'm like we've only scratched the we have I know I know and you haven't even drunk your coffee I know <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much it's been wonderful yeah, to talk you. to you and oh, uh, really appreciate your time you. I loved it I'll Good. see you later <laughs> you will <laughs> thank you for listening to Unquestionable We'd love to hear from you on social media by searching for Unquestionable Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.